0: Amen. Thank you so much, Ken. I appreciate that, brother. Hey, it is great to be back in Port Clinton. Woo! The weather has changed a little bit since the last time I was here. It was probably about eight weeks ago or so, but it was fun driving in again today and being with all of my friends here in Port Clinton. Hope you guys are doing real well. Uh, We're continuing on in our series called Thriving. And it was really cool. A couple of weeks ago, I had preached and... It was amazing because I got into my car, and the song called Thrive was on by Casting Crowns, and I was just blasting it because I thought, this is amazing. We're doing this series called Thriving, and the song Thrive is coming on, and so you just never know what's going to happen, how God shows up in different ways. But today, I have a question for you. We always like to start off many a times with a question, and the question today is, have you ever wondered how to figure out what God's will and plan is for your life. Have you ever thought about that a lot? I mean, really prayed about it, thought about it. I know I have many, many a times. There was even a book that I read uh, a while back that said, just do it, you know, because so many times we're always questioning. But this book helped me to think, okay, sometimes you just got to test and approve what God's will is and go for it. But Kevin DeYoung, he's a, he's a pastor and an author. And he says, when it comes to discovering God's plan, we are thinking in terms of God's will of direction many a times, aren't we? I've done that. God's will of direction. And that's basically seeking to find the answers to two questions, okay? Those two questions are, what do I do? What do I do with my life, right? Or where do I go? Where am I going to go? What does God want me to do, and where does God want to take me? And obviously, these are definitely important questions, right? And we definitely need answers for those. But what if I told you that there's another very important aspect of God's will that I would argue is probably more important than figuring out necessarily God's direction for our lives. And DeYoung calls it this. He calls it God's will of desire. God's will of desire, and it basically answers to other types of questions, and that is, how am I living? How am I really living, and who am I becoming? Am I becoming the person that God wants me to be? Am I being molded and shaped more into the character of Jesus Christ? That's what we got to ask ourselves. These questions are addressing the quality of our character, of our morality. And it emphasizes the goal of really becoming more like Jesus. And that should be the goal of everybody that says that they're a follower of Christ, is that we're becoming more like Jesus with our lives. And the fruit of the Holy Spirit is beginning to shine through us more and more each and every day. That's God's ultimate plan for our lives. So as we continue On in this series called Thriving, and Paul's first letter to the book, uh, to the the church in Thessalonica, which is the first letter of Thessalonians, right? That's what we've been looking at. And we're going to be laying out a plan for really discovering God's will of desire for our lives. So if you got your Bibles, turn, please, to the book of 1 Thessalonians, chapter 4 is what we're on. So we're doing like a a different chapter every week, and today we're on chapter 4, okay? You can pull it out on your smartphones if you'd like to, that'd be fine, but we're going to have it on the screens as well. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 through 12, and it starts off like this. Finally, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus to live in a way that pleases God. As we have taught you, live this way already, and we encourage you to do so even more. Yeah. Learning to, to please God. Remember a couple of weeks ago, we addressed that, right? Pleasing God more than pleasing people. Too many times, we would always get stuck in trying to please people when, in essence, it's more about pleasing God, right? And we hit that really, really hard. Paul, though, is expressing to the Thessalonians that the best possible life that they can have is to live to please God. So if you were to go up to anybody on the street and say, do you want to have a great life? Do you really want to have a great life? If you want to have that type of a life, then I tell you what, you got to please God. He's going to bless you when you do that. He blesses you with freedom. He blesses you with love and joy and peace and those types of things within your heart. So he's serious, Paul is, about this. And so he uses the word, and I love this word, he uses that word urge, right, urge. And it is a combination, basically, of two Greek verbs. And this is what it means. It means to request and exhort, right? So I'm going to request something from you, but I'm going to exhort you in the process, right? So I'm asking you, I am asking you to do this, but I'm also appealing to you to do this. So urge is, is, a, is a powerful word. For you remember then, the next part, what we taught you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. What we taught you, what we taught you is an even a stronger way of emphasizing living a life to please God. In fact, John Stott, the author, he says, it was often used either for a military command or for a civil order. For example, by a court or even by magistrates. So this is something that's pretty important, right? So why does Paul express this so firmly? And Paul's all about expressing things many a times firmly. And it's because he knows in many ways how forgetful we are, right? And we're all forgetful at different times. People try all sorts of ways to be able to remember things, tie a little string around their finger or different reminders on their phone, all types of things. You see, we are conditioned, if we're truly honest, to live for ourselves. And we need to be reminded over and over again to align our lives with God's ways, not our ways, not our selfish ways, but God's ways, to align our lives with his ways. And he knows beyond a shadow of a doubt that when we do live to please God it will lead to a life of freedom and that's always my word freedom you're going to hear me say that 5683 times because i love the fact and that's my part of my testimony that god has set us free through jesus christ free to be who god created you to be and so for when we do this we are in right in the middle of god's will and God's plan for our lives. And don't we want to be there? We want to be in the middle of his plan for our lives. We don't be, want to be outside of that. We want to be right in the center of what God wants to do with you. And sometimes that might be a little bit of shaking, okay? But it's going to be beautiful because it's going to continue to mold you more and more into his character. So we look at this at the beginning of 1 Thessalonians chapter four. But then, oh boy, seemingly out of nowhere, Paul drops this bomb, right? He drops this bomb, and so we got to buckle up because here we go. This is what it says. Paul's first way to live a life that pleases God is right here. God's will is for you to be holy, so stay away from all sexual sin. Then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God in his ways. Never harm or cheat a fellow believer in this matter. By violating his wife. For the Lord avenges all such sins as we have solemnly, solemnly warned you before. God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. Therefore, anyone who refuses to live by these rules is not disobeying human teaching, but is rejecting God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Yeah. So you look at the, the first part there, right? The first part, and it's talking about sexual sin. So you know what's um, worse than teaching about sex in church? Nothing. <laughs> except, except having to do it twice at the same campus within two months, okay? So I've got the privilege of being able to get into this again, like I did about eight weeks with you guys. So here we go. So this is not what I only preach on, all right? It just happened that here we go, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. But I understand when you think about it, why Paul lists sexuality really at the top for how to honor God with our lives, okay? Okay. Because it's saying it is God's will. God's will many a times in scripture is spelled out for you. It's not some oblivious thing that you're trying to strive for. It's right there. And so it is God's will that we are to be able to abstain from sexual immorality. And it's because in Paul's Greco-Roman culture, let me tell you, sexual immorality, it was rampant. It was completely out of control. It was. People would do anything and everything sexually to fulfill their desires, which, of course, meant breaking their marital vows in the process, breaking the covenant that they had made. And I don't know about you, but doesn't that sound like today in a lot of ways? This is kind of like a Greco-Roman culture in many ways today. That defines our culture today. In fact, in, in a lot of ways, I'd say it's probably even worse in some ways today. Part of the reason is because of technology. For in a matter of seconds, you pull up any type of sexual image on your phone. Or you could download some type of app within hours and people are hooking up with somebody that's not even their spouse, somebody that they don't even know and they're getting together with. Or people sending out all kinds of flirtatious texts to people that are not their spouse. This is wrong. This is considered sin, sexual sin. And what's so scary about this, you guys, is that it's becoming so normalized within our culture. It's becoming so normalized. I remember when I was younger, and people would have to go into some type of uh, bookstore type, or maybe it was a gas station. And they had the, the, the girly magazines, you know, in the back. And it was kind of covered up. And then if somebody really wanted to get one of those, they'd have to ask the clerk. And the clerk would say, oh, you want that magazine? So it was, it was just a different type of world in some ways. There was more accountability that was there. Sadly, today, with all of the technology, you're seeing a lot of things becoming normalized. And sexual sin becoming rampant even within the church. And that's not the way it should be. Sometimes it's, it's even embraced and celebrated in our culture. But like we said during our series in the wisdom literature, we can't ignore that sexual sins have devastating consequences. Devastating consequences. Which is why Solomon, he describes it this way, right? He says, "'For the lips of an immoral woman are sweet as honey.'" And her mouth is smoother than oil. So it might taste sweet and delicious, and you want more, and you want more, and you want more of it. We talked about this about eight weeks ago, right? But in the end, she's as bitter as poison, as dangerous as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. You see, it may seem sweet, delicious, until it has an adverse effect on us leading us to dire, dire consequences. It could strangle us, right? It could begin to strangle our souls and lead to the death of relationships with the people that we love most, our spouse who we love most, our kids who we love most, and it begins to strangle us inside, and we don't even fully recognize it until it's too late. But Paul says, Hold on, there's another way. There's a better way. And maybe it's not celebrated in our culture. In fact, you may even be ridiculed for it. But you know what? You're going to be free. If you live the way that God wants you to live, you're going to be free. So the alternative then is to embrace, to embrace God's plan for our lives, which means to be what? Holy, right? To be Holy, so stay away then from all sexual sin. God has called us, what? To be holy, not to be living in pure lives. Another word for holy is just a big word, sanctified. Many of you guys have heard this word. That literally means to be set apart. and involves the process of becoming more and more like God with our emotions. Not that we are God by any means, but we're becoming... More like him and more pure through our emotions, our words, our desires, and with our bodies. That our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit that resides within every believer. So how dare we use our bodies in a destructive way that displeases God? The good news in this whole process is there's a partnership. God's committed to doing anything and everything to achieve his results in our lives. This means we got to play our part, though, too, and follow out, oh, f- follow God's ways. We got to follow His ways too. So it says in in verse three, right? It talks about how God has called us to holy lives, and then to stay away from all sexual st- sexual sin. Some translations use the word abstain from sexual sin, and basically. Sexual immorality, sexual sin, comes from this Greek word called pornea, okay? And that is where we get our modern-day word, our English word today, pornography. And basically, that is any type of sexual behavior outside the bounds of marriage, of one man and one woman. So that refers to premarital sex, refers to homosexuality, refers to adultery, refers to incest, all this stuff that refers to any type of sexual behavior outside the bond of marriage, those bounds that God has given us. So Paul then, he's laying out what holiness ought to specifically look like. Check it out. He says then each of you will learn how to control his own body, and live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God and his ways, right? He's given us the blueprint that we are to control ourselves. That's one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit, right? That's the one that nobody wants to talk about. Everyone wants to talk about love and joy and peace, and those are good. But you know what the last one listed is? Self-control, Galatians 5. That is something the Spirit can give to us. So we got a little bit of an illustration here today. I've got with me... i got to be very, very, very careful. This is a piece of China. It's not from China. It's a piece of fine China. And we got this on our wedding day almost 21 years ago. And my bride is letting me actually have it up here. So... Think about this. I'm a little nervous about dropping this. If I drop this, I am dead, okay? So I better not drop this. But what if I decided that I'm just going to throw this? Hey, Todd, catch. Boom. Here you go. What if I said, hey, it's Frisbee Ultimate. Let's go. Boom. And I start tossing it to you guys. And then you guys, Todd says, hey, kid, where are you? I'm throwing it to you. Boom. And tosses it there and tosses it here and tosses it there. What's going to happen? Boom. It's going to break, right? I wouldn't think in a zillion years of ever throwing this to you guys. Even though I love you, you're great. But I'm not gonna I'm not gonna throw it to you, Todd. I'm sorry. I'm not gonna throw it because I value this. I value my relationship with my wife. (laughs) Okay? So it would be completely irresponsible, completely nuts for me to do that. Why would I throw around something? that we've had for 21 years that is very, very valuable, not just in terms of dollars amount, but valuable in terms of what it means to my bride. Okay? Why would I do that? Here's the deal. The Roman Greco culture, though, in our culture today, that's what we do exactly with our bodies. We do. The culture then and today view our bodies as simple simply some type of vehicle for some type of physical, transactional act of pleasure. And because of this, we throw around our bodies, and people look for whomever they could be with without the consequences. They think there's going to be no consequences. But God says, there's so much more. There's so much more than doing this do you know how much value you have simply because you are created in the image of Almighty God? That you have an immense value, that you are priceless in His eyes. So, how can we just throw ourselves around like that? You're so much more than some type of physical body that's a vehicle for pleasure. Do you know how fragile? Invaluable sex really is. And Paul's writing to the church in Corinth who is not honoring God with their sexuality to say the least. He says this to them in 1 Corinthians. This is what he says. Did you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? Now, you see the word prostitute and that probably gets your attention in some weird way, but let me point a more important word really, which is Unite. The word unite. So why unite? Well, in the original language, the word literally meant to glue, to cement. To glue or to cement. That's what unite is. So you can think about like super glue. You can think about um, some type of bonding together. For example, I've got uh, a piece of paper here, right here. And so my daughter glued these together last night. And so, here's the deal. If I try to remove these two papers, I could do it, right? Maybe. But see what happens when you do it? Is they're so glued together, what's happening? Things are ripping apart. And then, when you try to somehow put this back together... It doesn't work so hot, does it? It doesn't doesn't work hardly at all when you try to separate and then you try to put it back together in its original state. It's it's not working. It's It's not happening, right? You can't do it. There's a permanence in it, there's a damage as a result of trying to pull apart the one piece of paper is always going to be kind of stuck to the other. There's going to be ripping that's there. It's the same way when it comes to sexuality. Sex isn't just hooking up and then going on with our lives. No regrets whatsoever. God designed it to be the uniting of two souls into one and a covenantal marriage bond between a husband and a wife. Anything less, and there'll be some kind of Permanence and and some damage to us and to the other person, right? And sometimes we don't even fully see that. We don't fully understand it. That's why Paul says one of the the main ways that we can honor God with our lives is controlling our bodies, controlling our passions. So our bodies and our passions don't end up controlling us, right? So our, our bodies and our passions aren't controlling us. But you may be here today and you say, but Pastor Jeff, man, I've blown it big time. I don't know what to do. I've blown it. Here's the scoop. At the end, we're going to be talking about the, the grace and the forgiveness and the newness that could come through Jesus Christ. And that's what we have to keep in mind as well, is that the beauty of our Savior and the grace and the strength that he gives us to live a new life, Right? So then we kind of transition out of this, don't we? And we come now to another section of God's will. And Paul gives uh, other ways that we can discover his will, not just in terms of abstaining from sexual immorality, but then the next part, too, says, but we don't need to write to you about the importance of loving each other, for God himself has taught you to love one another. Indeed, you already show your love for all the believers throughout Macedonia. Even so, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you to love them even more, yeah, even more. Now we're not gonna talk a ton about the importance of, of loving people. We've done that a lot and it's always important to do that but the last sentence is key and that last sentence is loving people even more that we can't possibly love people enough, right? There's so much hatred in this world. There's so much criticism. There's so much negativity, constantly, that we're facing all day long, so we can truly begin to love people even more. Wow. So when you think that you can't love anymore, do it anyways. Do it anyways. Encourage people. And when you've done that, look for more people to encourage. And then serve people. And then when you're done doing that, look for more people to serve. We have a team called Operation Serve that I lead. This team This team is phenomenal. And all three campuses, we got like over 70-something people right now. And we're doing snow removal. We're doing yard work. We even helped a, a lady that was having a baby and helped with all kinds of clothes and stuff because her house got robbed. It was oh, It was a terrible situation. But the team steps up and they say, we're going to serve. We're going to serve. I'm so proud of them for doing that. To give to people in need. And when you're doing that, look for more ways to give. Our love for others can be a direct result of how we view, though, God's love for us, right? How are we viewing God's love for us? And when we see that God truly gave his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins, when we begin to grasp even a little bit how awesome that love is, that can't help us but want to love people even more, right? Right? because he loved us. And then finally, Paul says, if you want to truly live a life that pleases and honors God, here's the next part. It says, make it your goal to live a quiet life, right? Make it your goal to live a quiet life. And that might sound like kind of an oxymoron. You know, if you want to be ambitious, don't be ambitious. (laughs) You know, it might be something that is kind of hard to to understand, because aren't we supposed to shine the light of Christ? Yes, but what he's talking about here is referring to a life of peace and a life of rest. When we honor God, when we recognize that peace and rest is found in Him, in Him alone. You could be on the best beach in the universe and not have peace, not have real rest in your heart, in your mind, in your soul. Because he's the prince of peace, right? He's the author of peace. You're not going to have it without having Christ. And then it says, minding your own business, doesn't it? Minding your own business. Oh boy. I've had to say that to my kids a few thousand times, right? I'll say, Mom and I are having a conversation here. Um, this doesn't involve you. Please just kind of mind your own business. But wait, but, but dad, but dad. Well, oh, wait a second. Paul's essentially saying the same thing. Stop meddling in other people's business. Pay attention to our own lives. We're great at fixing everybody else's life except our own. <laughs> we're great at telling everybody else what they should do, but what about ourselves? Sometimes we gotta understand we gotta mind our own business, making sure that we're doing all that we can to fully honor God, right? And then the next part, working with your hands, just as we instructed you before. John Stott tells us this. It was uh, the Greeks who despised manual work as degrading to free people. It was fit basically only for, for slaves. But Paul, what was he? He was not only a preacher. He was a tent maker. So he says the opposite is true, that work is an opportunity. It's an opportunity. And look at the results of this. It says, then people who are not believers will respect the way that you live, and you will not need to depend on others. So when you approach your job, whatever job that God has blessed you with, whatever job that maybe God has called you, when you approach that job as worship, so you're going into work today, and you're getting into work, you say, I'm ready to worship God today. So if you're in a factory, or, or if you're in the business world, or whatever you're in, you say, I'm gonna worship God. And whatever God has pleased me, It's an opportunity. And so while others, they might take shortcuts, sure. They might be kind of pain in their boss's side. But your integrity, your truthfulness, your hard work, your excellence, your character is going to stick out and point to the one that you're truly working for, right? People are going to see there's something different about her. There's something different about him. Why? Because you're working unto the Lord, not for yourself. Not for somebody else, but for God. You won't have to depend on others to take care of you either. Instead, the opposite can happen. The opposite can happen. You will also have the means then to be generous to those maybe inside the church, outside the church. It's the genius of generosity then to be able to give because God blesses you and you're able to give to others. So as we kind of wrap up and we look at God's will for our lives, it's it's right here, guys. It's right at our fingertips, okay? It's living a life that pleases and honors Him in every aspect of our lives. And so maybe you today, you've realized that maybe you're maybe you're falling short in some of these areas. I know I've fallen short at different times in some of these areas. And maybe you aren't honoring God with your your body or you're not loving others or your character at work is just a bad attitude. God, though, is the God of grace. God is the God of second chances. That today's a new day. So you can pick up your cross, follow Christ today in a new way and receive that grace. Receive that forgiveness. His forgiveness is real. And he's not going to let you go. He holds you, right? Here's our last verse that we look at. The Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. Though they stumble, they will never fall. For the Lord holds them by the hand. Yeah. Think about that. Remember that God delights in every single one of you. All of you. And even if you've stumbled, which we all have, God, though, he's got you. He's got you where? In the palm of his hand. So he's not going to let you fall all the way down. He's going he's to help you. And he's going to lead you. So we don't have to fall prey to what I call the shame and blame game. You know, where we're shaming ourselves. We're blaming ourselves over and over again. No. Instead, we can receive Christ's forgiveness. We can receive his strength to move forward, and we could receive the fact that his love is leading us every step of the way, right? Today, dear Lord God, thank you, thank you so much for your word. This is your word today, and Lord, I pray that you would truly just speak to people's hearts today. I pray, oh God, that as they walk out, that they would be able to remember some of these things to help all of us to walk closer with you And to be the men, the women, the the kids that you called us to be, dear God. Mold us, shape us more into your character. Help us to to honor you and to please you above all else. For it's in the mighty name of Jesus that we pray. Amen and amen.